This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You sound insane. You realize that? The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. Hello, hipsters and old people. It is Wes Anderson time on the Mad About Movies <laughs> podcast. We're excited that you're here. We're excited that you found us, maybe for the first time tonight. And uh, may I interest you on in our... Ironically, uh, your ironically cased iPhone. It looks like a typewriter. <laughs> it is. It is. It's, the, the tweed is. It looks great in 2018, by the way. <laughs> um, we, we're glad you're here. And uh, it, it's only Wes Anderson talk tonight. I'll preface this conversation by saying we're putting off movie news, rumors, rumblings, and the patented weekly recommend segment for another episode this week in which we'll be talking Rampage and The Rock. So enjoy that, I guess. That. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> but for now, uh, this uh, episode is long overdue and not a second too soon. Uh, Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs has been out for a while. This one took us a a while to get to. took a while for it to become wide enough for us to justify doing the episode or enough people to to listen to it. So hopefully everyone out there has seen it so far and it might still be expanding into some theaters uh, around the country. But nonetheless... This is the rare case where North Texas got this weeks ahead of other places, which never happens. Normally we're the last. It goes... East and West and West East, so the Central's kind of screwed, but we got it pretty early. So, uh, so yeah, it went wide, what, last weekend, I think? I think so, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's been on It's been on our calendar as like, oh, yeah, we'll do one of these at some point <laughs> for a while, and then it just kept getting pushed back and pushed back. So I'm glad we're here tonight, though. Well, we are joined by a guest right now, and uh, his name is Andy, and he joins us via the amazing uh, channels of technology this evening. Hello, Andy. Hello. Good evening. Good to have you. Good to have you on the show. Um, we're going to ask you a few questions just to get to know you a little bit. Um, first All question right. is, have you seen MacGruber? I have. I have. It was on, uh, it was on iTunes for sale a couple weeks ago, actually. So I own, I own it. You, oh, you waited till it went on sale to buy it? What? I know. Yeah. I sh- I <laughs> was the sale that. double the full- normal price? It was, yeah. I think that's why they put it on there. Yeah, I've seen it a couple times. I don't, I can't think of too many Saturday Night Live skits they've made into movies. So, not in recent years of record. Yeah, just the uh, the nine hour trilogy on the Californians. It's the only thing. I was going to say till Francis Ford Coppola is the Californians. It's going to be pretty. It's just a weird weird uh commercial for his vineyards the whole time <laughs> i'm just drinking this northern california pinot noir from coppola vineyards coppola vineyard and up 405 but yeah that that is that is a good observation and that they they have shied away from making snl skits into movies so look Probably for that smart. look for that stefan movie yeah, Gruber was a good way to go out 
It was. You got to go out on top <laughs> as the one of the best movies of all time, and they did that. <laughs> and no one, no one really can argue that at this point. I don't. Um, yeah, and, what uh, the artist is to silent movies in 2011, MacGruber is to all film ever. I think that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No one, no one really could argue that. Uh, it, it's definitely <laughs> arguable. Well, Andy, one more question for you before we uh, right. dive right into Isle of Dogs is um have you seen a little film a little independent movie called now you see me yeah i think i've seen both they're making into a trilogy which is oh you know obviously a good decision um (laughs) gotta get the triplet in there somehow gotta get uh i feel like i saw I feel like I saw both of them in the movie theater opening night, which is just ridiculous, but also smart. So, (laughs) wow. And I think it was, I think it was full both times. So, you know what? We're, we're actually, we have a clause that says anyone who's seen Now You See Me on opening night is not allowed on the show. So we're going to have to let (laughs) you know. Right. I'll just, and it's been, it's been fun so far. So hopefully it was worth uh, your time. Well, I really uh, appreciate it. Would you lose a bet or commit a crime or was that like, was that like an alibi situation? Or I, I can't remember the first one, but at least for the second one, there was like one of my friends who's like, I really, really want to see this movie. And I was like, sorry, sorry for the loss of that friend. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. friend yeah. I'm sure he went to Harding. So, but uh, yeah, nah, they don't so believe in magic. There, dude. And ironically, it was like this independent movie theater in Memphis, like the nicest movie theater in Memphis. Wow, uh, that's where I saw that movie. It's completely full, and that it's like you. I know you guys have said this before. The only way that movie actually works is if they're actual, um, like wizards, War, warlocks. Yeah, because <laughs> it makes yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it well, makes sense. That's a conversation we've had way too many times, and we will just I leave it at say, that. I would say you should go to prison for seeing that movie. <laughs> Yeah. Second, but I learned in that movie that in prison they serve lobster and stuff, so yeah. that's right. not quite bad enough for you. <laughs> no, they give you your yeah, they give you a full you can interior decorate your entire yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a new if package. If, if yeah. you know magic, right, and you're high up in the magic community, right. they let you design your own stuff. Yeah, being really uh, letting you just have a lot of options and stuff, you know, it, it, it's yeah. the new thing, the new thing. Yeah, if David Copperfield ever gets Martha Stewarted, his cell is going to be. <laughs> well, uh, I, I want to take this this opportunity. Printer this. was the thing that put it up for me. I don't know why. I was like, "That's a better printer than I have in my office." I don't. <laughs> what's happening? Also, it's 2016. What are you printing? <laughs> Even in prison. Uh, sorry, can't continue. I was going to say I want to take this opportunity to. Uh, plug and promote our I Survived Now You See Me t-shirt, which is now shipping on the Mad About Movie <laughs> store, and that is not a joke. So, Andy, you're a perfect candidate oh, for the wow. uh, survival of Now You See Me. You can wear it Gosh. loud and proud for all to see. Well, yeah. The okay. carousel on the back, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah. The, only the members of the eye know what that t-shirt looks like. Um, <laughs> the club for that. Right. um Okay. So we prefaced this conversation a few weeks ago when we discussed a Wes Anderson classic known as the Royal Tenenbaums. And uh, that was one that was a conversation we had been meaning to have for a while. It came up on some top 10 of all time 
list episodes here and there and um, was one that was long overdue as well. So we, we did that. So if you want our full thoughts on Royal Tenenbaums or uh, all things Wes Anderson, aside from Isle of Dogs, maybe check out that episode. I believe it's available on the uh, on the main feed, not the VIP feed. Um, but I want to ask our guest his his Wes Anderson thoughts and we can kind of start this conversation off by just gen- general thoughts on, on Mr. Anderson. Uh, not the Matrix character. By the yeah. Way. Um, go ahead. Right. Not to be confused. Yeah. So I'm definitely kind of a, I would say, a newer fan to Wes Anderson. I think the first one I saw was uh, Moonrise Kingdom in the movie theater in 2012. And then since 2012, probably been my favorite um, director, I guess. Not counting uh, Spielberg, I guess. But um and I saw, so I've seen all of them, actually fairly recently seen all of them, and Real Ten of Bombs probably seen a couple of times. And I just, I think I really appreciate because uh, appreciate his work, not just because of like the, like how he does film. There's not too many movies that you can like look away and feel like, oh, I'm missing so much. But I feel like with his movies, you really have to watch the screen the whole time. You can't just leave the room. Um, and pick up on the dialogue later. And then also, I think, because he writes about deep subjects, but with a lot of um, humor, really dry humor, which I really appreciate. Um, And I feel like one of my taglines that I've come up with for him is he, you know, he just makes movies fun. And I think a lot of times we can maybe lose, lose that, and they can become too serious, or they can become Mm -hmm. kind of too stupid and you know i like both of those categories obviously but um just liking all types of movies but he does you know he just does his uh i think the uh, honest trailer just says he has a genre all on his own you can't really compare him to anybody else so yeah really really big fan like i said probably i guess you know i guess i would say he's my second favorite uh director so Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Wow. Didn't take him long to work his way up into your into your ranking there. Uh so so you went and saw Moonrise Kingdom and then you were so intrigued by the style that you yep. saw that you went back and watched all his, his all previous ones. Yeah, I think and I own the criteria edition of three or four of them. Nice. So yeah. So good. That's, and I think my favorite is probably probably Royal and then one that, you know, Fantastic Mixer Fox is is obviously great, and um, but I I recently watched the um, Darjeeling Limited, and it's a lot better than I think I remember, and especially watching the commentary with it, I think that made me like it a lot more. Like, hey, we're on this spiritual journey, but we're going to bring nine bags of suitcase and print out our itinerary with the laminator. <laughs> Just right. it's so ridiculous. It's great. So good. So that movie, I think most people put that like last on his list, but I think even that movie is really, really good and creative. It's certainly uh, it's last on my personal Wes Anderson list, but it's certainly like if if any other director directed that movie, it'd be their best movie. It's not saying it's bad because (laughs) it's Wes Anderson's worst. Right. My opinion is not his worst movie, but the one I like the least. Um. Yeah. You know, I think he's gotten certainly gotten better as time has progressed with story structure and and his vision has certainly become more and more focused as time has gone on. And he's defined mm-hmm. himself. You know, we always yeah. make the joke on the show that every 
new Wes Anderson movie is the most Wes Anderson movie ever. Like he's just, yeah. mm-hmm. it's almost a, a bit. It's almost like he's a parody of himself. Like he, he's so right. into his own vision and style that they, it's, it's not even nuanced anymore. It's like you could, I, I could mm-hmm. go make a Wes Anderson film now and, and just copy his style. Like it's, it's defined on, on, oh, yeah. on what you can replicate like oh i'm gonna do future a bold font and i'm gonna do uh you know i'm gonna center everything and i'm gonna have these pastel colors and and these uh swinging sets only gonna do dolly shots and sideways and pan you know think certain things that he he's he's trademarked and there's no going back from now he's kind of he's become more and more stylized every single movie and i thought honestly after grand budapest because it was so stylized that i thought he'd take a step back and do something a little more toned down but this was this was to the nth degree way more stylized than i had anticipated but uh, go ahead richard sorry no no i'm with you i i think uh, i was just gonna try to say i mean i would say um especially later yeah i would say post moonrise kingdom he sort of like really leaned into the aesthetic um and 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 darjeeling was kind of that turning point even though it wasn't Maybe his best film. I don't know if it's his worst. My least favorite Wes Anderson film is probably Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines. But <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those yeah. two. It's either that or Darjeeling Limited. But uh no, but he 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 certainly and I I you know it's always fun. I hear so many people say they discovered him with Moonrise Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And uh and that's and they felt you know what's funny is that's when I and this, I don't mean this in like a hipster way at all, because it's like just happens to be what you find. At, you know, I'm not cool or anything, but like it's Wes was like the filmmaker of like my high school years. I graduated in 05. So it was like Tenenbaums, Rushmore, all those movies are so thing. And like Moonrise Kingdom is actually, even though I think that's a very good movie, kind of when I cooled on him. And I, I, I find mm-hmm. it interesting that's that's we get emails all the time and tweets and, and you, Andy, and people all the time that like, this is when I fell in love with them. And I, I don't think they're wrong. Um, but for something about it, the, the kind of like innocence was lost. It seems self-aware in a way um, that it didn't before, even though I think it's still really enjoyable. And I love Grand Budapest. I like Grand Budapest more than Moonrise Kingdom, but there is something different. I think like post Darjeeling limited and pre Darjeeling limited, where he just said, I think he had a little bit of a failure and thought, what do I, how do I dress? And then he's like, I'm just going to kind of do what I'm really good at and lean into that in a weird way. And, and that's mm-hmm. certainly not a wrong decision. I think he's, he's grown his audience as we've, as evidenced here and, uh, and kind of, uh, become more of a mass filmmaker by becoming more niche in a weird way. So, uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I, I just find that really interesting. Is there any reason why he became more popular in with that film? Was that more I, I wide I think it's more released, sentimental. Or? Yeah, think, it's the yeah. it's the Boy Scouts it's, aspect of it, yeah. young love, so and right. and seeing more you know guys like I Bruce think. Willis right. do like yeah. a yeah. do like a really calm family movie. You know, uh, mm-hmm. there was a lot of of things that drew people to that. Mainly, the aesthetic was was off the charts too, and people really were drawn to that. I think. Yeah. Well, and you have the gap between Royal Tenenbaums and Moonrise Kingdom is like Steve's issue, which if. Uh, you know, I like Steve's issue, but I think it's his. If it's not his worst, then Darjeeling is worse, and then Darjeeling, and then Fantastic Mr. Fox, and all, all three of those movies are far less accessible than than either Ten and Bombs or Moonrise Kingdom. So I think, it, I I think for most people, 
most people who are just like regular, at least in my experience, regular movie goers, not like super film buffs or, yeah. or cinephiles or whatever, they they discovered Wes Anderson either at Royal Tenenbaums or Moonrise Kingdom. And if you uh, if you came kind of after Royal Tenenbaums, then it was Moonrise Kingdom. And if you were around and aware of of film and like really going out and seeing movies that aren't just like whatever the biggest blockbuster of the day was, then Royal Tenenbaums was probably where it started. But the in-between there, that's like a, a, a over a decade where there's not a film that I think really grabbed audiences in anything close to like a mass uh, mass brand issue. You know, there, there, there's no way that or not. There, it just it was much more difficult to find him, I think, if you weren't already aware at that point. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and they are more. I mean, I love these sort of coldness of his earlier movies. I find the I kind of ironic detachment charming more than where his later movies are warmer. And I think that's good. And and mm. mass audiences like that more. It's the Spielbergian thing. Uh, yeah, it's just sure. like to me, does it resonate the same? I kind of like the the dissonance of you know Royal Denimbombs is an enormously funny movie about a family. I think it has one kind of warm moment at the end. <laughs> yeah. And other than that, right. about divorce. And yeah. It's getting kind of it about yeah. Yeah. Same lines to each other in a weird way. And I like that about it. And it builds to a really, I, and I find that moment really affecting or moments, mm-hmm. but whereas Moonrise kingdom is kind of considerably heartwarming. And I think that just, I think people found that, that kind of uh, the mixture of those two things that really kind of really stilted, cold, shot aesthetic of Wes Anderson mixed with a kind of sweet story, uh, really endearing and people and, and, and people, uh, it, it, it led to them looking for that and other ones, other movies of his, and he's kind mm-hmm. of leaned into that. It goes on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I look at Wes Anderson kind of like I do Radiohead just in terms of how their careers have kind of progressed. So, you know, I look at, you know, Bottle Rocket as sort of the bins of Radiohead's career, you know, and then he got interesting, out, yeah, out with Rushmore and it's OK Computer. And it's like, wow, this guy is really good. Maybe we should be taking them right. serious now. And it kind of shows what he can become. And then, you know, Royal Tenenbaums is obviously where they were all in on their style. And Wes Anderson dove all in on that style with that and Kid A. Uh, the radio yeah, record, say, and then now they're just such a perversion of themselves. They're a par- Radiohead is a parody of themselves. I mean, it's the same deal. You can just do a, a quirky beat and some dissonant guitars and like dance around and sing some falsetto vocals over it, and that's radio. You know, it's it's become almost the same kind of thing. So, not to say that's bad because, like you said, he's just, it's a style that he's made completely on his own. It's a completely original way that he's done it, and. Yeah. I mean, you can't you can't mistake it when you see it. You see a commercial, and you're like, "Wow, Wes Anderson definitely directed that commercial." You know, uh, he mm. he has a, right. a an unmistakable mm. aesthetic, and he is a true auteur. I mean, he is an artist. I can't say it any other way. I mean, you watch Isle of Dogs, and as we transition into Isle of Dogs talk, um, yeah, you watch Isle of Dogs, and I was just thinking to myself, every single frame is so meticulously thought out so thought out in advance and by Wes Anderson, you know, he, he has, uh, I was reading a, an interview with him in Cine arts. I don't know if you guys see that, but it's the Cinemark does this little like a uh, magazine that they'll hand out, uh, as you're entering the theater and it's got some, some interviews and stuff. So they were interviewing the producer 
uh, of Isle of Dogs, Jeremy Dawson. And he said uh, he was the producer on, uh, you know, Life Aquatic and and a lot of his previous films. And he said that Wes Anderson will do these weird trips. Like, he'll be like, all right, you guys should come to Paris and let's talk about the movie. Oh, let's go out for a weekend in London and storyboard it. Oh, let's go out to Prague and, and think about who we want to, you know, he does all these weird, it's like always kind of on the go when he's doing things and always mm-hmm. creates this high energy, weird aesthetic around the th- the times that they're putting this together. And he said, you know, we brought the storyboards on a bus and drove to Prague. And like, by the time we got off the bus in Prague, we had the entire movie like storyboarded out. Like he just sat there and said every frame, here's what what it's going to be. Here's the framing, everything. So, you know, like when he, he's almost writing more for the image than he, he is making the image describe what is on the writing, if that makes sense or portray what the writing is. Um, not that that's a bad thing, but I just found myself, especially in this film, and more recently, there's more recent work, Grand Budapest, that I'm so focused on the visual and everything going on that the story is secondary, and I'm I'm keep having to remind myself, oh, I'm watching a story, a movie here that I need to be paying attention to. I'm not just like on a theme park ride or like walking through an art museum. And not that that's a bad thing, but that's just what it's become less emotional every every time i go into a wes anderson movie and this one was tough too because it's his, one of his most emotional movies it's about the love of a family dog i mean what's more sentimental than that right um but i just mm. find Man, myself more and more detached from the actual stories every time and but more attracted to him as an artist and a true visual um filmmaker so that's kind of how i my general thoughts on this, but I'm excited to talk about it with you. Lots to talk about uh, on this one. But uh, Richard, yeah. where where did you fall on it? Well, you know, it's tough for me. I I, uh, I struggle. Weird emotional part of me that's broken is I'm really bad about animals. I'm I'm overly sensitive about animals uh, in any sort of peril or any sort of sentimentality involving animals. I'm 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 a weakling on that. And I was nervous going in because Wes Anderson, not quite to the cone level, but he often kills dogs. Um, in film. just in his spare time, not <laughs> yeah, even, oh, yeah, not, right. yeah, got, that in film was really important that I added that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, he, he's a heck of a quarterback too on the move. Um, but he, you know, so I was like, this is like not something I was really looking forward to seeing. I'm just really bad. Anything not human, I have trouble seeing it in any kind of peril in, in, in film. It's weird. Um, so a lot of cringing and scared and overly probably how I should react when humans are in danger, but I don't uh, in this movie <laughs> that uh, go through. But on the whole, I yeah, can I, I found it. Uh, um, I, I, I was in all of the sort of spectacle of it and the look I thought was very Wes Anderson, but very good. And, and, uh, the characters emoted really well, which I didn't know about how to expect that. Cause I didn't think in fantastic, Mr. Fox, their characters are very emotive. And when you mix that with sort of his dry humor, it becomes sort of puppets reading a script in a weird way, even though it's fine film. Um, so, but I was, I was on the whole, I hot, decently high on this. I, I enjoyed it. I thought about it a lot. I thought it was, uh, deep in a lot of ways, emotionally, more than a lot of his other stuff. Um, and, and, uh, I, I was, I'm high on it. I, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Brian, what about you? Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I am of the, uh, I get hundred percent what you're saying. We've talked about this before on, on the Royal Tenenbaums episode, but, um, I like, 
I, I tend to lean more towards his newer stuff, and uh, I think Moonrise Kingdom and Grand Budapest are are my favorite of his films, and then Royal Tenenbaums. But I never really got uh, Rushmore is like my least favorite, probably of of his movies. Besides, I don't know, Darjeeling is really difficult to quantify, and I haven't rewatched it in a long time. But I was never as high on Rushmore as most people were. I was like Bottle Rocket a lot more than. Uh, than Rushmore, but to me, Moonrise Kingdom, I I think I mean it definitely plays to my sensibilities because I I do like uh, the ability to like ex- I don't know look at uh, human sentiment, which is what Moonrise Kingdom and and to, to a lesser extent Grand Budapest do more so I think than than Royal Tenenbaums. I kind of like that. Um, I guess a little bit more accessible and the the heartfelt stuff because uh, that's you know that's my sensibility and that's coming from the the spielberg camp and whatnot um i loved this a lot i don't know how well that the movie will hold up against the rest of his um the rest of his like his catalog but in the moment I very rarely had more fun and just kind of like i just sat i didn't i ne- i rarely like really laughed out loud but I, I just kind of, I don't know, like I felt like I was giggling through the entirety of the movie. Like it was really funny to me. And the the stop motion thing that I think you're spot on, Richard, like the there's kind of a, a little bit of um, those characters in, in Fantastic Mr. Fox are just a little bit lifeless and, and a little bit disorienting to me. And I, I like that movie quite a bit, but it's not, I think this is a better almost like a better version of that. Like he, maybe the technology is advanced or maybe he just understands the technology better. I don't know. But, um, I thought having, look, we all know how great he is at framing things. And if there's anything on screen, he wants you to see it in any, any Wes Anderson movie. Um, there's never anything on the screen that is not there on purpose and that it has a point to it. And, in this setting with these with the what do we even call what what is this type of animation called guys i've stop, I motions. Say, stop, stop motion, motion okay. stop I, I didn't want to say that and then be like hey idiot it's not that but um when you're doing this style of film the way he is like he can insert all these weird things off to the side or have the characters do really funny stuff in the background and it never really necessarily draws your attention away but there's always something happening um to the to the you know the peripheral edge of of the screen and stuff like that. I just thought that's a lot of fun and it kept the for me it just was like I was constantly just trying to to um like ingest everything that was happening on screen and I'm always that way with with Anderson films but but it's these this when you know it is uh when he's been able to design like every inch of what's happening and there's no room for uh you know like something happening that he's not in charge of because of the way this is being done it just makes it for a really fun enjoyable experience it's not super memorable whereas i think moonrise kingdom and grand budapest and royal tenenbaums and on down the list are they all have a lot of moments that even if you won't if for me even having only seen them once or twice each i can kind of recall some really funny spots and some scenes that work incredibly well and this is more of like a, for me, is like more of like a cumulative effect of just like, man, that was super Wes Anderson-y and fun and funny and really well-crafted and poignant in the right. But it, there's not, um, there's very few to me just like standout moments of that was the, that was the, the thing. That was the one. That's the thing that I'm going to walk away remembering. And so maybe there's, 
maybe that ages worse over time. I don't know. But in the moment, oh, so much fun, really well done. And, and I think some of his better, uh, I think some of his better scripting, especially given kind of the medium through which it's all being told. Yeah. I'll, I got some thoughts uh, on your thoughts, Brian, but we'll let, uh, but our guests give his general thoughts before we get specific here. So go ahead. Yeah. General thoughts. Agree with a lot, you know, of what Brian just said, like really fun, really enjoyable, really well-made, probably not the most memorable, but um, I do, I have a few thoughts of that of why it might be memorable later. Um, But, but yeah, I, I think I agree with that for the most part. And Kent, what you were saying, how like the film and how it's made, can almost like distract you from the story. That's not something I've thought about before, but I think there's one scene for sure that I really think captures uh, what you're saying in that. Um, So I I agree with that too. I think for me, I really, I probably maybe was a little bit higher on this movie than you guys. It it sounds like. Um, And I guess the big takeaway for me is I kind of like stories that are kind of like this epic journey of outcast people (laughs) that aren't supposed to be together. And so I think I really enjoyed that aspect of this. And, and maybe that's why I like, um, Darjeeling limited too, is just this aspect of like, Hey, we're going to go on this story of misfits and we're going to have this plan and it's all going to go wrong. Um, there's something about that, that I really enjoyed. And, uh, I thought introducing, I feel like with a lot of his movies, he introduces like a new star, like, Hey, this guy's never been in my movie before, but I'm going to, I'm going to bring him in. So Brian Cranston bringing him in the, uh, I think that was really cool. I don't think he's been in other Wes Anderson movies, but it seems like he always gets like one new person that you can't see in a Wes Anderson movie. And then somehow he plays the lead in the new Wes Anderson movie and he's great. So I, I really enjoy it. I like, I'm a big Breaking Bad fan. So I, I was really surprised and I thought his performance was great. So yeah, I, I was pretty high on this. Awesome. Yeah. I, man, I just gotta say, I, I thought this was from an animation perspective, just as an animated movie, maybe the best animated movie I've ever seen. I mean, it was incredible. The stuff they were able to do with stop motion. I didn't think it was possible to do. Um, When you're working with animals and hair, I mean that the attention to detail that you have to have, I was, I went back and watched a little Fox searchlight, did a little webisode um, about just the process, just of creating the puppets. And they had to make every single dog puppet that they used um, identical. And, because they had to make multiple dog puppets and multiple sets so that they could shoot multiple scenes with the same character at the same time, if that makes sense. So that they're not, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. sorry, we can't have chief because he's in this other set, you know? Uh, so they were able to shoot simultaneously and such. Um, but I mean, they had down to the amount of hairs on the actual puppet, they had to be identical so that in every shot that they could match up uh, everything. That is incredible. I mean, it's all hand done. I mean, these people are sitting there stitching every single fur. I mean, in the millions of of individual hairs that they're doing for these puppets. And uh, they said that there was 1,105 puppets made, um, 900 individual characters, and uh, 250 separate sets that they made 
or different settings that the movie is in the movie. That's what blew my mind. I was like, this isn't a, this isn't Coraline where it's her in her house and she's kind of wandering around. Right. Mm. Um, this is in Japan or a futuristic version of Japan in this totally surreal world. And every single shot was in a different scene. I didn't, you know, they've rarely repeated settings. I just was blown away by the scale of the entire thing. Um, yeah. I, it blew some traditional animation away. Uh, I mean, it's kind of easy to do that with stop motion, but I mean, with the ocean, I mean, they, they said they made the ocean out of like cling wrap from the grocery <laughs> store and what? just how they swirled it around and did the stop motion is amazing. Uh, so that's what I meant when I was just like, I was just so overwhelmed by the scale of the entire um, okay. film yeah. that it was just like, maybe I need to see it again and just only watch the story. But yeah, it was just such an experience right. from an animation perspective that it was, it was hard for me to concentrate on anything but that and just every studying every frame and the shot composition and everything. Um, speaking of that, I mean, he centers everything crazy. <laughs> it got to yeah. the point where I lifted the pin I had for my notes up to my face into the middle of the screen in the theater. And it was, you know, every single shot was lining up with my pin. I was holding static there in the air. And not that that's a bad yeah. thing, but once you see it, you kind of can't unsee it in a way. And so from that okay. perspective, it was a little distracting too. But I mean, you, you can't, you, you know, like you said, Richard, even in fantastic Mr. Fox, there's a little element of stop motion. That's a little bit sloppy. And she just can't really get the lifelike emotion. But combining Wes Anderson's OCD persona of everything has to be exactly right, combining that with animation, combining that with the Japanese culture, it this was it seemed like the perfect match in terms of all these aesthetics coming into one to make the uh the the most Wes Anderson y Wes Anderson movie of all time. But uh I wanna and- talk Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just to to me to cut you off. It, he he's uh, some article I read was saying he was doing it in honor of some Japanese director. Do you know anything about? Oh that? yeah, yeah. He um he you know he's gotten some backlash. Of course, we can this we'll talk about that uh, at some point in this okay, conversation. Yeah. I'm sure about Got the it. about the uh, portrayal of the cultures or whatever. But um, what he said is that it's just, just those his love letter to those cultures and watching Kurosawa films growing up and the right, kind of the foundation of okay. what his aesthetic was in filmmaking and okay. his his kind of fascination with Japanese culture and everything. And um, I thought it was a natural fit. It didn't seem too out there in terms of what he could be doing. It seemed like a natural fit. I don't know if animation was the right thing to do, but I could see him doing some kind of movie set in Japan or something like that, just in terms of, the culture's matching uh, very well. Uh, Japanese culture is very precision-oriented, and they have the sequence in this film with the sushi uh, that they said, by the mm. way, took, it took eight months to animate, apparently, <laughs> that sequence. Jeez. Incredible sequence, <laughs> but just the precision yeah. and the entire, everything has to be perfect, perfect. This way, this way, is Wes Anderson, too. So he, I'm, it sure feels a part of that culture in a way. and. Um, you know, I thought it was not a great portrayal, very stereotypical in, in a lot of senses. I mean, just to have the sushi mm-hmm. scene in there is the stereotype, right? Um, but the sumo wrestling. Is yeah, I mean, it it is a parody. It's an animated film. It's a futuristic 
version of Japan. It's not like this is how it is and was. It's not, but it was just with his his perspective and his aesthetic. It feels old. It feels like it's nineteen fifties. Like, oh, this was this is what happened when Japan was founded, right? Uh, no. But mm-hmm. what what were y'all's thoughts on on the culture and the way the culture was portrayed uh, in this film? Anyone that wants to chime in here, uh, go for it. Uh, yeah, I can go. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's, I I am not someone of 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 Japanese or or Asian heritage, so I I hesitate to speak whether or whether or not it's it's uh, offensive. I you know I'm not the person to to say that, but I. I saw because I knew the Kurosawa stuff because you know we watched a lot of movies and stuff. I, I found it to be much more homagey and full of love and appreciative and and uh, like you know more like a doing a good cover of a of a song or something than than uh, appropriation, right? Um, mm. There are things that are that are touch. You know, we live in an overly sensitive society, so there. Are, of course, you're watching like oh sushi. I don't know about that. That might be you know that might read to someone, but, but I didn't I didn't find it to be mocking or anything. You know, at some point, if we limit these things too much, no one will ever be able to, um, you know, sort of uh, cop these sort of styles and 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 do homage artfully at all. So I hesitate to say it was it was inappropriate, but again, that's that's a very very white guys, and I hesitate. I I emphasize very white guys uh, point of view. So I I who knows, Brian? What about yeah. you? Yeah, I I you know you know how I about most of that stuff it, it, it's i kind of just wait for <laughs> i kind of wait for twitter to tell me whether i should be upset about something or not because i just i don't know my brain just doesn't go to i don't get offended easily at all and i understand that i have the privilege of doing that because of the color of my skin and whatnot sure. i just there's time yeah. like there's times where i'll walk out of something or read a tweet or whatever and it never would occur to me that anyone could possibly get upset about this. And then someone is, and you're like, well, now I have to decide whether I think that that is um, like a real thing that we need to be upset about, or if somebody just is upset today, you know, it's just, it's very difficult to, I don't know. I, I think that in a broader sense, I, I want to be aware of and uh, sensitive to issues such as cultural appropriation I also think that if you take that, gosh, I hate, I hate slippery slope arguments so much, so I, I won't make it. But if you take that to an extreme, you just get to a point where nobody is ever allowed to um, think about any culture that is not their own, and then or appreciate any culture that is not their own, or talk, and it just, I don't know, it it gets to a point where it's like, well, I'm a white guy. So if I want to make a white, if I want to make a movie, I, I can only have white characters, but then that also poses problems because we are too far, <laughs> you know, like yeah. all movies are, are too white and stuff. <laughs> yeah, and so it's like, well, of course. what do I, I don't know. I don't, I, this is genuine. I don't know. I'm glad that in some ways that I'm not in that situation where I'm like, trying to make a movie or trying to write a script or whatever the case may be, because it's just like, I, I honestly, I don't know how to navigate all of these waters. So I watching this movie and seeing those elements at no point did it ever cross my mind that this was something that we needed to be concerned about or offended over. Um, I thought it was homage. I thought it was, uh, y- yeah, there's a certain, I don't know, there's some generalness to it or, I don't know, cliche, but yeah, 
I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't have the energy. I'll just speak for myself. I do not have the energy to get, um, to get up in arms about most things as they, um, as far as like going against my culture and I'll just kind of let everybody else take their own cues for what they, I don't know. Does that sound ignorant? I don't want to come across. I don't want to get, I don't want to get, I know what you're saying. No, I I, I totally, I totally understand. Um, the only thing that stuck out to me is just like, right when I heard it, I was like, I don't know if that's a good idea. It was like, it wasn't the kids named Atari. Uh, yeah, I was kind of bad. Uh, the kid, there's like a hacker character and that has a role in here too. That's like a very stereotypical thing as well. I don't know. Just in some areas, I felt it to be a little bit tone deaf in terms of what he was putting out there. Like maybe he just really liked it and what in his own world paying homage to what he likes, but really didn't think about the overall reaction to it. And so in some areas I can see that, but also I sat through the movie, watched it and I was going in knowing that stuff or that people were saying that. And I didn't, nothing really stuck out to me other than what I just said of, Oh my gosh, this is, this is a, I'm, I'm walking out of the theater bad. Um, so a lot of it is what you said, people looking for an excuse, but, uh, I could see it both ways. Uh, absolutely. So, um, well, his other, can I just put yeah. in one more time? Sorry. <laughs> I guess it's just something I I've been thinking about. Cause I read this article saying that, that we haven't even talked about, it, which is, you know, fine. I know we can, there's other more fun things to talk about with this movie, but they were talking about kind of like the white savior complex is what they were upset about. I can't remember yeah. where I read it. The Greta Gerwig and, uh, character. Yeah. The, yeah. uh, what's her name? Tracy. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, was she the hero of the story? I mean, I didn't think she was the savior of the story. Was she? I didn't think so, but I did. I did yeah. have that thought in the movie. I was like, gosh, I bet somebody's going to get upset about this. That, that, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, Cause this isn't Atari. He's more the hero right. or even yeah. the, the dogs. Right. Well, so, and, and, I don't know. Yes. I don't know. I, I just, I also, this is, I don't know. An American movie made by an American director, yes. and <laughs> and right. yeah. the dogs are quote unquote translated into basically yeah. Wes Anderson talk, right? So, right. I mean, it's yeah. his interpretation of whatever this is. I mean, yeah. like, why are we getting so upset about a freaking dog stop motion movie, like guys? Like, let's just chill out and <laughs> let's enjoy this for what it was, which is a freaking crazy animated <laughs> uh, masterpiece in a way. Um, so there were a couple of of things here that he wanted to get across. Um, he really wanted to do another stop motion movie. Uh, he really wanted to do a movie about dogs, and he really wanted to do a movie about the dogs. So his original, I guess, concept was: I want a movie about alpha dogs in the garbage, living in the garbage. Right? These super tough. They're named Boss, King, Chief. Right? All the dogs, uh, yeah. Rex and oh, Spike or Spot. What, who's what's the uh um spots yeah that's the one spots. that they're looking for mm-hmm. yes yeah, um but yeah just that whole concept of these dogs who are the rulers of their house or territory all being in this environment that they can't control and um have to kind of bond together in a way and it also has the element of the political aspect of the I don't know why it had to be the son of the politician that had to come find the dog that was I don't know the whole political aspect of this is questionable as well but um but yeah just the missing your dog and wanting your dog back when 
cats rule the world essentially is what they're getting at here. And I liked that aspect of it too. I found it to be very Milo and Odyssey in a way. And it draws back on those heartstrings of those classic stories that you, uh, the, the homeward bound or something, you know? Uh, and, and I, I really enjoyed that uh, aspect of it as well. What did you guys think about the, uh, the main five dogs or the, the, the pack of dogs mm. and, and uh, mm. what were your favorite characters or lines or anything like that? I liked how they showed the, um, uh, collars and the little dog tags of each dog when they're introducing them, mm-hmm. and how Bill Murray's dog was like a baseball dog. I like that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead. Yeah, I loved it. I thought it, the uh, the the I don't know the differences in personalities between the dogs were fun. The voices were matched perfectly. I thought to the dogs, which is kind of an underrated bit. Uh, mm-hmm. We see. A, I feel like we see. A, I talk about this a lot when we do Pixar movies, but. Like one of the big differences between Pixar and DreamWorks is that DreamWorks, or not just DreamWorks, Sony, any anyone that's not uh, Pixar, Illumination, Disney, <laughs> yeah, they just get they fill the movie with minions and can't minions, and then I don't go to the uh, theater and it's a win win. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And not they, just they just follow them around. Um, one of the things I think that sets apart Pixar from everybody else is that DreamWorks was really bad about this. So I'll use that as the example. They just they they just were like, we have this much money. We're spending this much on the movie. We have this much left over. What are the six biggest names we can get for this movie, regardless of talent, regardless of chemistry, regardless of like, does that voice even sort of match the character? Whereas Pixar, you know, some of those movies have big name actors in them, but but a lot of them don't. And that's not the thing that it's built around. It's just this is kind of a, a blend of those two. Obviously. Bill Murray and, and Ed Norton and Jeff Goldblum and Brian Cranston and on down the list, like they all have, and, and, uh, and Bob, all of them are American treasures except for Ed Norton. That's pretty incredible. Um, but they matched the, I think Wes Anderson then went in and kind of like matched the dogs to the personality of, or at least the, the voice personality of the actor. And it was, it made for a richer experience. I think whenever you're engaged with those characters, you know, and it's something that you kind of need if, if I don't know, sixty percent of the dialogue in the movie is spoken through the mouths of a yarn dog, you know, it's just it's it worked really, really well, I think, on that front. Yeah, Richard, any uh any thoughts on uh anything? No, I think that's really smart, Brian. I think uh it, it is it's almost written for those characters, you know, those voices in a way. Um so it it, it was interesting there. And I I, I found the, in a weird way, because Wes Anderson scripts really lend themselves to this, to this medium, because there's so much space sometimes between jokes and the timing can be sort of the way he likes to have characters interact is not entirely human. <laughs> so when it doesn't come out of humans, it's like actually mm-hmm. more, uh, m- more at home in a weird way, you know, it, mm-hmm. and whereas when, Sometimes you look at something like, you know, even Tenenbaums, which is great. But what makes it great is kind of how stilted everyone is when they talk to each other. Sure. Yeah, no, I yeah. totally see that. Go ahead, Andy. Well, I, yeah, I thought the characters work, the, you know, the five alpha dogs and work well together. And just the premise of like cats versus dogs, uh, like that's what I thought his premise was going to be. But then he got the trash island thing. Uh-huh. Um, and like a couple of the lines that stick out to me 
was I feel like Bill Murray was perfect to pull off the line where he says something like, you know, the ones I like, they're never in heat. I think that was his line. <laughs> and then he has that other line where he's, he says, um, I have to ask the mental health question. And he's like, we just, you know, we just saw, you know, something about the screw is, is loose in this guy. We just saw him pull this out of his head. He's this little boy. I didn't like those two lines. Mm-hmm. Bill Murray, it's he's Wes Anderson knows how to use Bill Murray, you know, mm-hmm. probably better than anyone. Definitely. And then uh, Goldblum is great. The the running joke of you've heard the rumor, right? You know, yes. Like he he does things that um, he just knows how to use uh, characters. And I was kind of thinking, like, what uh, what actor could he not use or like who's somebody you would want to see him use? I don't know. Let's think about that as I watch Kevin that. Hart. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Hart. Will yeah, Forte. No, I thought that's what you were going to say. Oh, that'd be good. That'd be Kevin Hart would probably be actually really good because they have such Kevin. Kevin Hart's so emotive, you know. <laughs> so it might be a. He was the uh, Chihuahua in uh, what was it? To Your Life of Pets? Was it the Chihuahua yeah. or something? He was yeah. a rabbit. Yeah. Rabbit. That's what it was. Yeah, I've seen that too many times. <laughs> Kids. <sighs> yeah. Yep. Well, um, this was also speaking of lines. Maybe the best use of the line "you son of a bitch" in cinema history, <laughs> like the most literal, awesome sense of the word. Yeah, like yeah, that yeah, actually yeah. makes sense. Strong. That's great. Uh, you know, they came up with that probably early on. Like, where do we drop that line in this? Uh, it was it was all it was all good. It was funny. Um, and some stuff with puppies that was very heartwarming as well. Um, did you notice the pagoda slides? Remember pagoda? Yes. Like a little yes. Easter egg. Uh, I mean, there's a literal pagoda here too in the Japanese culture sense, but uh, also I thought the last time you put that. a blade in me, pagoda. Yes. <laughs> when when <laughs> pagoda stabs him in that movie is just so my classic. favorite scene in any it's in any West Anderson incredible movie. moment <laughs> maybe it's, ever. Yeah. You son of a and then just that tiny little <laughs> knife. Dead. Ah, oh, pagoda. The last time you put a knife in me, it's yeah. so, or a blade, it's so funny. Such a funny. Who was the uh, narrator in this movie? That that stuck out to me a little bit too. Couldn't remember. Uh, I don't know who it was, but it seemed like somebody that I heard before. I remembered in the mo- in the movie, I was like, "Oh, I know that," but now I have to look that. Up. I'm on it, Brian. Just starting. Oh, Courtney B. Vance. Yeah. Oh, okay. Love, uh, oh, that's right. Okay. Great voice. Yeah. Johnny Cochran. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It was fun to see it, the additions because this, like, when you do voice cast, you can bring in more people than you might be able to, even for Wes Anderson. I mean, that's like what he does is ensemble with all these you know, talented right. voice actors. But doing animation and being able to to bring in uh, Lee Schreiber and uh, Courtney B. Vance and uh, ScarJo and just and and Greta Ger- Greta hasn't been in any of his movies previously, I don't think. And so you just like get to keep adding on to the collection of of talent and and great actors that you just want to be around i think bruce willis is like the only one who's just like nah i don't i don't need to work with you again but uh otherwise it's it's fun to see him just kind of add to his 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 collection yeah absolutely um what was the uh what what was brian cranston's dog's name was it chief the main dog um chief he when they had the little twist maybe midway through the movie of that he was going to be the lost dog, right? Or there's that moment where he looks in the mirror and he's like, wow, the dog looks just like me. I thought that mm. would have been a great twist to save for the end. Like he was the, 
one that they were mm. looking for and he didn't know he had an owner and he yeah. comes to this realization at the end like oh my god i'm loved like i never thought anyone would come for me come back for me and uh that would have been something great i thought to save for later in the film but it kind of they get there too early and they don't and it, it actually is a different dog like one that looks like him that's in the same pack or whatever breed or whatever it is um mm. but i thought that would have been a cool reveal at the end where he finds out that he was the uh, lost dog the whole time what sure. uh, anybody have that thought or how did it all come together in the end for for you guys I thought that was a cool reveal the way they did it, and it was it was fun to see. I I thought the scene when the the, the little pilot um, bathes Chief, and he turns out that he's you know that he's white with spots instead of the yeah. other way around. I thought that was funny, and it was charming and and kind of and very Wes Anderson-y to kind of flip it like that, and uh, and led to some some you know strong emotional content there. I thought that was good. I thought it was it was that to me was better fitting even than to find out that he actually was spot or whatever. Like I thought that was good. It worked well. Very cool. Very good. Um, maybe something else I noticed was, you know what else, how, how it was all mushroom clouds, like every smoke cloud was all, I don't right. know if that was the commentary on anything at all, or if it's just Wes Anderson's so into symmetry that it's like, I can't just have random dust flying around. It has to be in this perfect shape every time it, you know, every time it, it happens. But uh, also they had a funny move, moment where they kind of bring the 2D animation to life of, you know, in cartoons where you always see a pack of dogs like fighting and it's always just a cloud of dust with like limbs flying yeah. everywhere. They did that in the stop motion. And I thought that was really cool too. in, in this movie and something that was yes. cool to see in 3D and in a different way. Um, but really man, fun. like the animation just blew my mind and all the, the cable system that they had rigged up, you know, mm-hmm. the little cars and everything are the, they d- dumped the trash that that was very reminiscent of grand budapest and the uh elevator or the gondola uh sequence but man wes anderson keep doing what you're doing man really enjoy it and what's the what's what's the most wes anderson anderson thing ever what could it be it's gonna make a movie about chess in england uh in the 1980s <laughs> Bobby Fisher, yeah, Bobby Fisher yes. uh, era yeah. chess movie. That that'd yeah. be the most Wes Anderson mm-hmm. thing of all time. What what, what but, do you guys? But think? Bobby Fisher kills a lot of dogs too. Just on the side, there you go. That's part <laughs> right. of it. Yes, he, thought... really, he moves to Iceland at the end. It's great. <laughs> I I love Fisher. Yeah, he takes a he takes a uh, old tugboat over to Iceland too. Like it's yeah. a, a bright red chimney on it. <laughs> I thought that scene, I don't know if it was really my favorite scene, just because I feel like it took so long, was with the slide. You're not tall enough to go down the slide. Yes. Like that scene, slide, yeah. that, that scene was, how long was, I don't know. I was just like, okay, I get it. But I don't know. That was maybe the one scene that I was like, I think that could have been cut probably. But, yeah. but I- it was probably such a feat to do that with stop motion that they were like, we have to leave this in because it was such a technical <laughs> accomplishment. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what pays to know exactly what you want is that they knew exactly what they needed to get. And there was probably very little, Oh no, we need to go back and do that again. I don't really like that. Like he's like, do it this way. And this is the way it's going to be. And that's it. And it's almost pre vis in his own mind on what to do. So like I said, the aesthetic of symmetry makes it a lot easier in animation. Like, oh, we just go to the, we just pan left and go to the exact center and then zoom in. Okay, now we can do that. 
it's a lot less it's a lot harder to set up a dolly and do that in real time than it is in animation that makes sense but uh, Mm -hmm. they were doing it in a sense with with stop motion their real cameras and everything so they did a good job blending the practical and the cg they did have some blue screen work uh with some of the uh, backgrounds and stuff they blended that in a way where no one would notice and that's the way you want it um but overall, really enjoyed the experience of this. Uh, it's just quintessential Wes Anderson uh, with a little more politics involved than I had probably wanted there to be and a lot of sentimentality, which, which I really like. So I would have preferred a little more heavy on the sentimentality side and less on the uh, cultural uh, implication side of things. But, uh, but enjoy myself nonetheless. I'm going to grade this one out uh, at an A- minus for uh, Isle of Dogs. What do you, what do you guys think? Yeah, for me, I'd probably go just a little higher. I had a, I had a great, again, this may be one that, that looking back, I'm like, yeah, it's not as good as some of the other stuff, but in the moment, so much fun. And I look, I love, I love a Wes Anderson movie because it is, it is just such a wholly unique experience. Every single time you go in, you sit down, the credits start and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so different from anything else that I've seen this year or the year before, or since the last Wes Anderson movie, you know, and I, and I greatly appreciate that. Um, so for me, it's an A, and I'd, I'd probably put it somewhere around his like I don't know fourth or fifth best movie uh, for me, which oh, wow. kind of puts it in the middle because it's I mean he's only got nine, so this is it's not like there's a whole lot to to choose from. But I would definitely put Moonrise and and Budapest and and Tenenbaums ahead of it, and then I think anything else would be up for for debate for me. So that's uh, that's me. I'm I'm at an A. Uh, Richard, what about you? Yeah, I, I'm gonna go. I'm going to go a minus for me. I'm going to join with you. Kent really well-made film, enjoyable, um, super technically impressive. I probably would be an a from most critics of you enjoyed as much as I did. I just, the older I get, I just don't like animation that much. Like I don't enjoy myself that much watching animation, even if it's really well done. This is about as close as impressed as I can be by it, but something about it, I get removed from it somehow. So I'm going to go a minus Andy. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to go a, I think probably fourth or fifth best of his movies. I really think um, what gives it an A instead of an A minus for me that I don't think we talked about was the, uh, I think the music was really good. Just sure. how he did the drums, how he brought in the uh, song. Um, I, uh, I wrote it down. That song. Um, yeah, I think that's what kind of puts it at least for an A instead of A minus for me was uh, because of that. And yeah, music so scene. well, yeah. Good stuff. It was is weird. Vampire Weekend scored this, but hey, I mean, you got an audience, <laughs> you got appeal to them. I understand it uh, all the way. Marketing. All right, um, let's move on and uh, ask Brian where we can find him online. Brian, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on the Twitter at bgill twelve. You can find my writing at madaboutmoviespodcast.com dot com and the Mad About Movies Podcast newsletter, which will be out in a couple of weeks. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on all social media at Richard Barden. You can find me at the Mad About Movies Podcast newsletter and madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Andy, where can I find you? Tell us about your uh, your endeavors. Yeah. So uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am at, uh, at Winter Faith Andy. And I also have my own podcast, which only has five <laughs> listeners, I think. But anyways, um, it's uh, Winter Faith with Frazier. So Sweet. that's, that's Sweet. two places you can find me. Boom. Awesome. Well, good to have you. Good to talk Wes Anderson as always. Um, maybe we'll get a chance before his next film to discuss another throwback 
uh, and that will be a great time. But we have talked Grand Budapest. We have talked Moonrise Kingdom. If you're interested, check out those episodes at length. But until next time, uh, we will see you guys in the VIP and at the cinema. Goodbye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salad and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe. But I got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salad and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya ya. Your salad and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. <laughs>